leading organizations with intentionality and purpose is complex work. And dedicated leaders work tirelessly each and every day to build impactful cultures of collaboration. But effective collaboration is difficult and messy. The good news is you don't have to do it alone. Join the Jigsaw Learning Team for Leading Collaborative Response, sharing insights for leaders committed to establishing, refining, and deepening collaborative response in their organization. Welcome back to another episode of Leading Collaborative Response. And today I get to speak with Curtis Hewson once again. Hi, Curtis. Hey, Jen. How's it going? Not bad. How are you doing? Oh, doing fantastic. We, uh, we're actually just finishing up a week and looking forward to doing a school feedback at uh, a school on Friday, which is always exciting to get into school and then having a chance for a little bit of a break the following week and moving to some sun uh, away from our <laughs> Alberta winter for at least a little week siesta. Oh, I'm, I'm jealous and I know that my husband yeah, I... will be jealous as he's gone up north for a little while where it's getting yeah. a little colder. Well, and yeah, I know. <laughs> Thanks for taking time to make a podcast here today, because I know with Trent gone, that means that you have become the prime taxi for figure skaters and hockey players within your household. Oh, yes. And add to that now <laughs> that they both have jobs. So it's like, yeah, mom's the Uber now. <laughs> yeah, excellent. You know, you should really be thinking about your rates, especially if the kids have jobs. That's, uh, you know, if they can use a, the app to be able to um call you in that seems like a lost opportunity if you're not taking maybe <laughs> oh so curtis i'm coming off the tail end of some conversations around the art of facilitating collaborative team meetings yeah with colette and, important. and marilyn there and yes hugely important and the continuum of supports did come up so mm, i appreciate yep. that we're taking some time to have some conversation about that um we know in our experience they're never done. <laughs> no, they're not. When we talk about a continuum of supports being foundational component to collaborative response, um, it comes with the realization that it's it's an ongoing evolution, um, evolutionary document where the document itself is not actually as important as the ongoing conversation about pedagogy and practice that it brings with it when you're continuing to refine over and over and over and so that's the good news part of this episode it is it is the good news and some people may look at the title that we're going to put for this episode and go oh good news that it's never done are you kidding me but we'll yeah we'll share some different ways that schools just utilize it as an ongoing source for exploration and examination of what is it that we do for for learners in our building so as we get into this conversation, for those that are unfamiliar with collaborative response and the three mm. foundational components, we'll focus in today on the one puzzle piece. What is a continuum of supports? Yeah, so historically, the, um, the impetus of understanding the continuum of supports as being foundational was understanding that we have these collaborative structures and processes, we're engaging in team meetings to examine students. We have data and evidence as another foundational component that's informing those conversations and flagging which students we should be paying attention to. But there was that piece of, yeah, but what are we going to do? We've got them flagged, we know something's going on, but if I knew what to do, I would have done it already for the student's success. 
it really elicited the understanding that we need a repository, a resource, some type of support that helps us determine what are those next steps and when is the right time to engage in the next intensive layer of support. So initially, this, this work was really informed by um, early on some of the professional learning communities literature, and then certainly through the response to intervention literature when we start talking about tiers and, and all of that. But we initially referred to it as a pyramid of interventions. It was consistent with um, some of the PLC language, especially um, through the wonderful Rick Dufour talking about within their experience of building that pyramid with intensifying supports. We have reached the point, though, through this learning and engagement that when you go and tier supports rather than students, which is a really, really important concept to wrap our heads around, when we tier those supports, it's not actually a pyramid shape. Um, we've often used a, an image of a teardrop or a candy corn because in time, as we refine our continuum, we start narrowing in on tier one, which I know is going to be a conversation that we're going to save for another podcast because that takes a little more conversation. So when you tier kids, a pyramid makes perfect sense. We want more, most students at risk requiring supports at a lower tier than a next population, you know, that that 80, 15, five type percentage makes sense to, to make it a pyramid. But when you tier the supports, it doesn't look like that at all. So continuum made better sense. And then understanding everything that we do for students is not just an intervention. In fact, when we were calling certain things interventions, it was a little bit misleading and it muddied the idea of what is a true intervention. A true intervention should be done in an individualized or um, small group setting. And when I say small group, I'm talking at, at max eight, but hopefully less, but eight or less, um, that the person providing the intervention has some training or background um, so that it can be done with fidelity. And then it's focused on teaching a particular skill um, through that intervention. It's, it's teaching a skill that will be uh, necessary for a student. Well, not everything that we do to support kids meets that three criteria. So it made way more sense to say the practices, strategies, accommodations, and interventions are going to be grouped in. These are all the supports. So I think that was the, the, the shift that really helped us identify a continuum of supports is that collection of all the things we could be doing. And initially, within our understanding, I always believed a school created a pyramid of interventions or in time a continuum of supports. But we found over time that it is way more beneficial to be able to say what's an area of focus that you're trying to impact in your school. And then have we developed a continuum of supports in relation to that focus? So, I mean, there's the obvious traditional ones that we see of a focus around literacy um, success or numeracy or a school that says we're focused on academic success. Well, then have we built a continuum of supports that are literacy continuum, a numeracy, or if we've grouped them together and called it academic during uh the height of COVID, we saw a lot of schools that said our primary focus right now is well-being. Okay, well, let's create a well-being continuum of supports. So I, I've reached a point of 
A school doesn't need to initially start with six continuums of support. Start with one. One thing that we're trying to really impact. But over time, as um, key priorities in a school shift, change, or we've we've seen the success that we wanted in this area, but now our data is saying we need to address this. Um, when we say what this is, we should have a continuum that we've developed in relation to that key priority. Curtis, you have shared a lot about continuum supports and listening to you talk, the evolution of the continuum of supports really resonates mm -hmm. with me because you're absolutely right. That teardrop shape, that conversation of understanding that it's not just about the specific interventions anymore, but we're really talking about opening up a teacher's toolbox. Yes, absolutely. And pulling out the things that they are doing in their classroom. It really invites them into a conversation. I had a an assistant principal just a few months ago that said when he shared this with his staff, he said, everyone's got a toolbox, but what we're trying to do is bring it into a tool shed uh, that we can all access. I thought that was just a beautiful analogy for this. It absolutely is. Lauren and I talked about it previously, about it being a garage. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, that idea of everybody having access to, to everything that's there. Right. I have had the opportunity to facilitate the initial development of a continuum of supports with a number of schools. And for me, it's very exciting because it really empowers teachers to articulate those things they take for granted and then to have a moment to pause and reflect on, wow, we do a lot of things for kids. And that's one of the huge pieces of why it has to get co-created off the start, because it's essentially saying we do good things in this building name them. What are they? Because we're going to organize and use that as an initial starting point. But it comes from a position of recognizing and honoring the practices that are happening with our within our building as a starting place for our continuum. So we are firm believers in that co-creation. Mm -hmm. But what are some tips you have? Because you've done this way more than I have. What are some tips that you have for schools that are just starting the creation of a continuum of support? So some of the things we've learned over time is when you're thinking about introducing collaborative response within your school, and again, understanding that it's a mindset, it's there's foundational component and there's structures and processes that become part of it, but really it's about enhancing how do we collaboratively respond to the students' needs within our building. So when we're thinking about all the components that come along with that, the development of a continuum of supports is likely best done a little bit later in our process. I would focus in on what I mentioned earlier of the importance of the collaborative structures and processes, those layers of team. I would focus in on those first. And we may not have a continuum built yet, but we've still got, everyone has their own toolboxes, even though um, we haven't articulated those out. We can brainstorm together. But what ends up happening is if we wait for a little bit, People will see the the value for us to be able to say, you know, we've been in several collaborative team meetings now, and I've noticed that there's ideas and strategies coming up in one team that would be valuable to share in another. And also people may be at a place where they go, we've had four or five, and it seems like the same ideas are coming up over and over again. Wow, wouldn't it be nice if we could just have a resource that we could turn to so it didn't have to feel like we were brainstorming each and every time. So it, I've seen schools who'd go about this 
early, early in the process and their teachers don't know why. Why did I have to do that? That didn't seem like the best use of our time for me to tell you all the things I do and we write them down on there. I don't understand why it's there. So that helps with the understanding to do it just a little bit later after you've had some of those collaborative team meetings in place. And I think um, the other thing is do not worry about um, making this overly complex. When you begin, start with a simple question. What do we do when a student struggles with? Insert your area of focus. So what do we do when a student struggles with literacy? What do we do when a student struggles in numeracy? If you said student engagement is a huge priority in our school, um, what do we do when a student's not engaged? Start with that to elicit out what it is that people do. And you've seen the post-it note activity. And in our membership area, we have slides and processes for whether you're doing that in a post-it note or in um, collaborative digital documents. Understanding that don't expect perfection off that. Uh, in some schools, we may have teachers that are not um, used to having to articulate what they do. I know for myself, it, it was hard to be able to articulate. I, When a student struggles, I just do my thing. Um, sometimes it's um, just natural. I don't, I'm not even always sometimes thinking about what are the intentional strategies that I'm putting in place. So I think not to worry about in the first brainstorming when we get that first dump and you've seen it Jen uh, walls of post-it notes established don't worry if some of the things being elicited are not the most impactful things yet that we would have or seem fairly basic um I, I've seen many principals that have done that activity come back and go boy it I, I'm not super impressed with all the things that came out. And that's okay. Uh, don't worry about it because the refining over time is what's going to make that continuum powerful uh, for us. So I, I, I think that's really, really important to understand that the first time we have to articulate, share out, write down what it is that we do, that's that can be a daunting task for us to be able to do. And you will know this as well as I do, Jen, I do a hundred different things on a daily basis in a classroom to respond to students. How can I in one single activity possibly um, remember and articulate each and everything that I do for success for students in my classroom? Oh, absolutely. And having gone through that process, I know that for some schools, like they, they, they get a few things out, right? And that process is important. That's the buy-in, that's the yeah, honoring the practice in the classrooms. Because... And again, that idea that process is more important than the tool. If it was just the tool that was important, we would have put six master teachers in a room, told them to write this down, and then just distribute it out to every school. It's But it, it's not the right way to do it. It has to be owned and co-created. It absolutely does. And it has to be done in each school because the context of each school is different. Yeah, absolutely. So as we go through that process, I mean, the, the, the gut instinct is, can't you just give me one, right? Yeah. And so the Save next- Save us some work. <laughs> it doesn't work. However, there is value in reviewing um, continuance of support from other schools to see, oh, hey, we hadn't thought of this or we hadn't thought of that. But what are some other ways that schools can add to their continuum of supports to enhance what they've built to initially? 
Yeah. And Jen, that idea of we can look at other continuums is really powerful. In fact, in the show notes, we will, and, and the YouTube description for this episode, we'll add a folder that has a number of samples from a large number of schools. And we're continuing to collect samples um, to be able to share out. Some schools show the samples just as a, this is what we're striving towards building, but then put them away so that we start with, so what do you do in your class? Then we can come back and bring out the samples and say, is there something that's in one of these that we um, didn't either remember to put on or could be something that we could add on? So that's one great way to be able to refine. But remember that when you're looking at another school's continuum, think of it always as a sample, not an exemplar. We don't collect exemplars when it comes to continuums of support because they're never done. And we have schools, when I say, I love your continuum, would you mind sharing a sample with us? I often get the response back, ooh, we're just in the process of updating it one more time. Can you hold on and wait? So remembering, even when you look at those samples in that folder, that there's some that it's pretty obvious what a next step might be in its, its development. So looking at that is really important. I think when we have a continuum, um, and I know this is going to be a future a podcast episode of how do we utilize it effectively, but they should be in our team meetings, our conversations. And when somebody says, hey, could we try this strategy, but it's not currently on our continuum, we should be saying, ooh, let's add that. What tier does that belong? Understanding that our continuum of supports has our tiered, um, tiered supports from tier one, what is it that we do for all students across all classrooms? Tier two, what do we do for some students some of the time in some classrooms? Tier three, what does somebody other than the classroom teacher do um, to help support students? And then tier four, what are some of the external to our school supports that we rely on for students? So I know oftentimes we hear why four tiers in collaborative response continuums rather than a traditional three tier that we often hear. It's not about adding one more on top. It's about understanding tier one and two get explicitly defined where um, we're breaking up a traditional tier one to be able to say, what is it that we do in the classroom that we agree are big rocks across all? And then what are the numerous differentiated strategies, accommodations, and interventions that we can put in place? So when people are sharing these ideas, we're plunking them right into our continuum in, on the fly. Lots of times what we see is that it's tier two, the differentiated classroom practices that starts to expand. It starts to get big because we're adding all the different things that we could be potentially doing. We also know that in particularly the collaborative team meeting, we've talked about uh, the integral process within that of being able to say, I have a student and right now my key issue is this, then we add other students to make it so that it's not just about me or one student, it's about several. And then we turn the conversation to, so if this is the key issue, what are things we could do to help support? Well, those brainstormed lists that come out become huge repositories or idea centers, essentially, that we could be adding to our continuum. If there's things that are coming up that are pure gold, where does that go on our continuum? Let's add it right in there. Um, I often have said to schools, when somebody goes out for professional learning, when we attend conferences or conventions, we come back and we should be saying, what have we learned? Are there any 
ideas or resources that we could be adding to our continuum as just good practices as we continue to grow and learn as educators and school. Um, and then also being able to engage with some external supports, you know, send out your continuum to a district lead to have them take a look at it. At uh, one point, we had our continuum go to a university uh, partner who had expertise in literacy who could look and suggest uh, some possible ideas for our consideration. I would say with the explosion of AI right now, being able to dump in there, what do we do when this is a key issue getting and using that as a source to be able to continue to add. Um, there's lots of ways that we can take our initial construction and keep adding new um, other ideas that we should be considering when we're talking about supporting our students. Curtis, you talk about AI and it gets me really excited because I know that in the rewrite of WeCollab, what started as the Student Support Network, which was a database that you could access and you could search based on mm you know, what was the key issue or what is the area of focus? And you could refine that because that database is built on all of the supports that have ever been entered by a WeCollab user and then vetted by a Jigsaw Learning team member. Mm -hmm. But now the process is you can put the key issue into the software and it will offer suggestions from that support network right yeah. in the meeting. Well, and I think too that that student support network which we also have in our uh, collaborative response membership area can become a huge source of, are there things in there that we could be adding to our continuum? And the beauty is, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, is not only is it suggesting a support, but then there's also, here's a video that shows how to do it. Here's a uh, website where you can access further information or resources so that it's not just a, Jen, have you ever tried chunking an assignment within your classroom? Here's, it also then can provide, and here's how you can go about doing that, or here's some resources, or even some exemplars that you can utilize that show what that looks like. Yes. So I love WeCollab because we have worked very hard to make sure that it's user-friendly and that all the necessary information is contained. That description I often describe as being integral to yeah. the succession of supports occurring in a school. And so the sustainability of that work as teachers transition, they need to know how it works within that school. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this again goes back to the idea of even if you've got tools like that, even if we've got tools like AI um, that we can utilize, don't disregard the co-creation of saying, yeah, we've got these resources that can help, but what is it we do already? Let's use that as our starting place where these tools can then augment and enhance what we we have in place for our continuum as it continually evolves. So we know it'll continually evolve as staff transition as well and bring in yeah. new learning. But how do we support those teachers who come into a continuum of supports, look at something and don't recognize it, don't know how to implement it, yeah. don't know what it is? So I think there's a couple of things with that. Jen, the first one is we've seen a lot of schools that then start utilizing our continuum, the digital document of it, um, and we often refer to it as affectionately as the placemat or our menu of supports, because essentially what it's doing is when we say, what should we do? 
instead of people staring at the ceiling and going, hmm, let me think about that. What should we do? We're, we're going right to our continuum and saying, have we tried this? What about this? Here's an idea. Well, now it becomes powerful when I say, here's an idea, but now I can click on it and it's going to take me to a video that explains it. Or it's going to take me to, you know, one of the things that we say we could utilize is the use of graphic organizers. Well, wouldn't it be great if we then clicked it and it goes to a shared folder that has a number of graphic organizers that we can utilize so that not every person's recreating the wheel. So we've seen a lot of schools where they start linking um, and building up a resource bank. And oftentimes it's um, some of our specialists or leads within the school or the division that start building some of that background uh, support work around that. We also see um, where there's a number of ways that um, leaders keep bringing up that continuum to be able to say, you know, when you look at our continuum, pick at our staff meeting, we're going to take five minutes at the start, pick one strategy that you're really confident in and one that you're not sure what it is and go find a group and have a quick five minute conversation as our start. Because again, that continuum now can be a mechanism for just ongoing conversations about practice. When it says use of visual anchor charts within the classroom, okay, well, let's go and do a 10-minute scavenger hunt as part of our PD day to go out into, into classrooms. And uh, the task is to come back with 10 pictures showing what does that look like in, in people's classrooms. Again, it's it can be continually ongoing. And we find that a beginning teachers, when they come into schools where there's clearly established continuums of support, they are over the moon because their toolbox may not be deep, but it's instantly adding to that toolbox. But then we also see veteran teachers that really value the continuum because we know teaching's complex. There's a number of different things that are happening, thousands of decisions that are happening within a day. For me to be able to go to that and say, oh, right, I could use a visual timer. That That's a that's a valuable strategy. Well, I might have forgotten that during the hustle and bustle of, of um, an average day in a classroom. Curtis, we've titled this episode, Refining Your Continuum of Supports. Yeah. We didn't title it Adding, which has been the whole conversation we've had to yeah. this point. So on the notion of management, are there ever situations where schools might remove supports from their continuum? 100%. And that actually should be one of our considerations that we don't have all of a sudden over time, this massive document that has so many things on it that it becomes virtually unusable just because of its sheer size. We want to be able to start removing or de-emphasizing the practices that we are not finding as impactful as others within our school. So there's a few different ways that we've seen schools do this. Again, the use of external supports can help with that to be able to say, is there anything on our continuum that you would say is not as impactful for us, whether that's a, a divisional lead or I mentioned a university partner. Our Jigsaw Learning Associates often do this with schools with their continuums to be able to offer ideas to add. But then here's some things that I would have you consider starting to remove. A lot of times that can be done even at the school site by let's do a little bit of research and which one of the things that are on our continuum have a research basis or backing behind and those that don't 
Could we remove or even let's bold the things that have a strong research base of being highly effective and italicize those that you know, they might work, but really they're not your high impact uh, strategies for us. That idea of high impact, we've seen schools where they'll do that on a PD day or a staff meeting. They'll say, all right, take out our continuum and using a simple scale of one to three, three being I find this high impact within my classroom and one being not so much let's go and we'll tabulate our scores essentially and determine ourselves what do we find as most impactful i saw another school too who uh used it as a source of professional development where they said with two highlighters take a blue and a yellow highlight blue the things on our continuum you could teach another teacher how to do and with yellow, what are the things that you're not quite sure what that looks like, or you don't find it highly effective in your room? And then they use that as a as a way to determine what are some things that are coming up yellow for many people. Maybe we could do some PD around that. And even better, is the expert in our school right now? Is there someone who did that as blue? And if there's a number of people saying, I'm not finding this as effective, okay, well, let's start removing. And we did that ourselves as a school of starting to take off some of the things that in some cases required financial resources to be able to put into place that we weren't seeing the impact. So let's stop doing it and, and pulling that off. The other thing that we often see is when we do that initial um, dump, we have people often put on assessments and plans. So I want to break both of these down. People will put down, well, in my classroom, when a student's struggling, I um, I might refer them for a psychological assessment. I might do this particular assessment in my classroom. We might do um, a level B that someone in our school does. Those get added inevitably to our, our continuum. In time, we want to pull those out because we have to understand that an assessment's not a support. It informs the support. So it may be that before we go and investigate adding tier four level supports, we may want to initiate um, a psychological assessment, for instance, if we need that, if we're not quite sure what we should be doing. So removing, just doing an ed psych, just doing a um, screener in your classroom, that doesn't help a kid unless it can inform the next steps. So I think that's a one important thing to understand that, of course, assessments are critical in the process, but let's not put them in our continuum. We've seen some schools that kind of put them to the side and say, as we're investigating, um, moving from tier two level supports and adding on tier three, we may look at doing some of these assessments to inform that because by the time we get to tier three and four, those are are often, while they are typically interventions that are being put in place, and interventions by their very nature require resources for it. So we want to ensure that we are putting the right intervention in place because of the cost of the resource. Now, the other thing that uh, is important is then removing plans. So the most um, obvious example that I can think of is a student individualized program plan. Whether whatever acronym you utilize within your school division for that individualized plan, but let's not call that a support. What's in the plan are the supports. So we had um, 
made that mistake as a school by saying, well, those are only in place for our intensive students, so they must be at the highest place of our continuum, up on tier four. But again, it's with that understanding of don't tier the kids, tier the support. Sure, that's in place for our intensive students, but the support itself, if you went and looked in that IPP, it had things such as use of alternative seating in the class, reduced assignment lengths for student, frequent um, communication home with the parent, and frequent opportunities for breaks within the classroom. Well, all of those are tier two. They're all things that are within the classroom that the teacher is responsible, that they're doing for some of their students who potentially need that. So by saying, well, this is a student who needs tier four supports because an IPP is a tier four support, well, that's actually not accurate. They don't need tier four supports in that particular case. They need tier two. And the plan indicates that if we're doing these with fidelity and regularly, the student can have success. So removing the, the plans out as well is important. And understanding a plan could have supports from multiple levels in it to ensure the student has success. First thing, assessments are a different puzzle piece. <laughs> they yeah. fall into the data and evidence puzzle piece. Yeah, they're providing they're the data. They're not a part of the continuum of supports. Yeah. And then in the refining of Week Lab, you and I had some deep conversations around what is a support versus what's an action, mm -hmm. right? Support is something put in place for a student to find success. Yeah. And there should be a time where we go and review is that support working? Absolutely. And the action is, what are the adults doing, right? So action, right support plan. Action, review support for effectiveness. Yeah. Assessment. Uh, conduct this assessment because we're not quite sure where to go for our next level of support. Absolutely. So we had some deep conversations about that. So the, like those two pieces really resonate with me. Awesome. Frequently asked question coming your way now, Curtis. Okay. This question is brought to you by WeCollab. Designed by educators for educators, this comprehensive digital system aligns with the foundational components of collaborative response. Moving from conversation to action, WeCollab empowers classrooms, schools, and systems to provide the very best response for each and every child by informing action-based decision-making with data and evidence supporting student success. How often and when are we refining our continuums of support? Okay, so this is a frequently asked question. In fact, it came up yesterday in a session I was with, with a number of school leaders. I think when we think about that continuum of supports, it can feel really daunting to say, oh my goodness, when am I going to find the time to continually refine and evolve this thing? I think it's important to understand that the initial creation probably has to be a extended activity, whether that's an hour, two hours to really get into depth for that. But once it's created and somebody goes and takes it from post-it notes onto a document, that doesn't have to be a shared activity. That's Let's assign that task to one person. But once we have that document, now it's ongoing. So in our team meetings, we're again, thinking of strategies that we're putting in place. And we say, okay, in our, our meeting, let's make it a role that somebody is going to be referring ideas off our continuum and adding things on to it. And then afterwards, somebody goes and just updates our doc. The continuum that, curator. Yeah, exactly. Or we've seen schools that have captain continuum as one of their roles 
in their meetings. So I think that's important. I think oftentimes too, once you have that initial document, now we can say, all right, let's have two people go and start linking some things to it. Um, as an administrator, I can go and add some strategies that I'd like to see in, in classrooms that I know we need to have in place. Well, I'm going to go start filling in some of those gaps. It doesn't have to become a whole staff um, three-hour activity to go and refine, but that doesn't mean that we can't take a portion of a professional development day to be able to say, okay, we're going to take a half hour and do one of those activities. Um, we do have in the show notes and in the YouTube description a document that has been created that shares a large number of strategies for refining your continuum. There's lots of ideas and samples that are within that. Um, but again, staff meetings. Let's let's take just five minutes. Let's go to our continuum. And one of our, our strategies at tier two is chunking assignments. All right, talk to a partner about what does chunking look like for you? How would you describe that to another person? So Again, you're you're just utilizing that continuum over and over and over as a anchor for conversations about practice. Uh, that's one of the key roles that it plays of not only suggesting ideas that we could put in place to respond to students, but now it's on our continuum. It's something that we can talk about. It it essentially deprivatizes practice within our school. I think, Curtis, you've summarized it very well there when you say that part, because that is the good news. Yeah. But it is never done because and that is what's always... going to continue to build the capacity of the staff in your building as you continue to refer to it, continue to refine it, continue to add to it, continue to remove things from it. Yeah. And asking questions like, this doesn't work for me as well for students. Why? Am I doing something wrong when trying to implement this particular support? What does it look like in your classroom? What could I learn from a colleague in order to do that more effectively? All of those conversations come to the forefront when they supports are listed in a documented continuum of supports. Well, Curtis, I know your time is valuable and I know our partners want your attention. We've talked about adding today. We've talked about removing today. I know in our next episode where we talk about refining, we're going to talk about merging supports as well. So I'm kind of excited about that. <laughs> and there's a big component we haven't even discussed, Jen, that's going to be a topic in, in a future is how do we refine tier one so that it's not a laundry list of 50 things that we expect every teacher to be doing in every classroom. But if tier one is really the universal practices that are become non-negotiables, how do we refine that down into essentially five to 10 big rocks that we come to expect of one another when supporting students in particular areas of focus. So I'm looking forward to that conversation as well, as that's, that's powerful work in our schools. It absolutely is. And so thank you, because there is so much learning that just happened in this quick conversation. And I hope that our audience reaches out to you if they have any questions or access the links in the show notes and the description so that they can view the examples that we have examples not exemplars <laughs> yeah exactly so thank well, you curtis yeah and it's been a pleasure to talk and share and really share learning that's evolved from from the great work of many many leaders and uh teachers and all of those out in schools that make it their mission to do the best that they can for kids Lots that we can learn from our colleagues. 
Ensuring success for all students is a moral imperative for all schools, but it takes a highly coordinated framework of structures and processes to maximize the collective capacity of the team. In collaborative response, three foundational components that transform how we respond to the needs of learners, we share an organizational mindset that involves fundamental shifts for schools and districts. Numerous school and district examples, as well as access to a large number of resources, are provided within the text and in the accompanying companion website. Join the growing number of schools using collaborative response to ensure high levels of success for students and staff, stemming from the essential belief that every child deserves a team. Curtis's enthusiasm about refining the continuum of supports just puts me in awe sometimes, as you can tell that the process has undergone an evolution over time based on the learning from the initial development of collaborative response many years ago to where we are now. Some key learnings that stand out for me with respect to this conversation, the importance of it being a co-created process. You cannot just adopt one. You can't just say that this is what we're going to do for students. It really is about honoring teacher practice and inviting them to the conversation and encouraging them to articulate the things that they may take for granted that they just do because it's just what they do. Well, no, what do we do and how does that impact and support our students to be successful? The second thing really is about being critical. Recognizing that refining a continuum of supports is not just about adding to a continuum, but also about taking away, really honing in on what are those high impact research-informed strategies that work well within our context. And the last piece really is about deprivatizing our practice. That opportunity to have that third point, right? That objective piece that talks about these are the things we do in our school to support students in our classroom, really provides a safe space and an anchor so that we can continue to return and have those conversations and really build up the efficacy of how we support our students in our schools. I'm looking forward to our next conversation where we really hone in on refining that tier one continuum. For more on collaborative response, visit jigsawlearning.ca or join the JL Insider to receive access to newly added resources and content. Make sure to follow us on social media. Subscribe to the podcast and the Jigsaw Learning YouTube channel to access past and upcoming episodes. Join us again to continue to build your own capacity in leading collaborative response in your context.